Finder.com, a comparison shopping site that has become a go-to place for consumers, made co-founder Fred Shabesta a star entrepreneur in his mid-20s. He never looked back. Again and again, Shabesta has come up with fresh ideas for the digital economy. Back in the earlier days of the internet, for instance, he launched a company that bought and resold domain names. He's here to talk about why he thinks the big tech companies are monopolies and how he's been able to thrive amongst them anyway. Influencers with Andy Serwer is brought to you by Verizon. Hello, everyone. I'm Andy Serwer. Welcome to Influencers, and welcome to our guest, Fred Chabesta, who is co-founder of the comparison shopping site Finder.com. Fred, nice to see you. Good to see you as well, Andy. So you're up from Australia. What are you doing in New York? You know, we have a we have a, quite a, a business that's really growing here. Uh, we have businesses in, in in the UK as well, but I'm here to uh, you know help help keep growing our business here. And uh, we've been rolling up this new piece of technology as well, which I can, can tell you about. It's a new personal financial app that automates your finances. Oh, we want to talk all about that. Maybe we should take a step back, though, and tell yeah. us about Finder.com and what it is. So Finder is, we believe that when people get more information, they're more empowered to make the decisions and choices that they need in their, and live a better life. Because your, your life is a summation of your, all your choices. And what our, our vision is to better all the world's decisions. So on the site, you can see, it's a free site, all the choices you can make, say for credit cards, mortgages, insurance, you know, through to VPNs, um, you know, broadband, cell phone plans. It's, it's a super mega supermarket. Like imagine an Amazon of comparison. Mm. That's, that's what we're trying to build. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is help people save money. That's a good goal. Are there other uh, comparison shopping sites out there? Yes, and, and how are you differentiated? You know, a lot of um, site, there are a lot of sites out there, and obviously we compete in the biggest markets around the world. I think the difference is we focus on education and empowerment first, and then once people get that information, um, we think they can make a better choice. So we're we're trying to um, teach people to fish rather than giving them a fish. The next thing we're, we're really doing now is we're, we've we've got this pivot, and it's, it's quite an exciting time. About twenty seven days ago, we launched our first new application where. You have this continuous um, uh, comparison of your financial products. Now, we're moving, I guess, from really being, I guess, a media and marketing company to being more of a technology-led company. Now, that sounds strange for an internet company to say that, right? But what we're, tr- you know, and this is like, you know, the late um, um, Clayton Christensen, which I'm a, yeah, a massive Clayton fan of. Sure, um, Harvard Business School professor who just passed away. Very tr- tragic. I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. massive fan. Um, uh, you know, we, we've we've gone and um, really disrupted, and we are disrupting ourselves right now. Um, and innovators' dilemma, right? And and how do you do that? So so our solution to that has been um, to establish a second company called Finder Ventures, and that's the company I run. Traditionally, day to day, I don't think I'm the traditional CEO. I'm much better at a small team, and, and you know, I was obviously founding of, of Finder, which is 310 people now. You know, it's 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 a it's quite a, an organization. We're bootstrap funded all the way for ten years, um, and, and and so we know how to run a business, which is which is kind of interesting. But 
my real vision around this was not to create a unicorn company, but to create a phoenix company, which mm. keeps reinventing itself. Right. And so what we're about to do right now is reinvent our own core business, which is you know, kind of scary, but, but kind of, kind of yeah, cool. T- talk to us about that. What, what is the difference? What is you know, the 2.0 or 3.0 of mm. Finder.com? So today, if I was to break that down, you know, with most services, you, as a consumer, you go and you seek out that information, right? What we're trying to do is turn that around where we come to you and bring your financial insights about your life and what you could potentially do to help make better choices. Now, that might seem simple, right? But there's a lot of just barriers, right? You, look, look, you zoom all the way out, particularly you take... Um, the U.S. is a very low compare. I'd say um, in financial products, it's probably around the 20% mark. The U.K. is probably about 50 60%. There are big comparers. Australia is probably around the 25 30% mark. Um, so traditionally, um, in, in the U.S., we go to our insurers direct or we go to our banks direct. Whereas the behavior we're trying to encourage is, hey, before you go direct, why don't you go and check out that price? Now, the challenge there is that you've got to go out and seek all this information, and that's great. It goes, you, know, you can do that on Finder. But what we're trying to change is the dynamic and reinvent ourselves to say, hey, we're going to come to you. And that mm. hasn't been done before. So, so are you going to try to anticipate for certain customers or any customers, new customers, what they might be looking for and push out to them to give them an entree to advice or comparison? Correct. That's exactly right. And everyone's a different... You mean as opposed to being static and having people just come to your platform? Exactly right. Right. Exactly right. right. And that's a big change. Right, right. So you mentioned Amazon before, Fred. Are they a frenemy, a competitor, a customer? They're actually uh, one of our clients. We send a lot of, lot of traffic to um, Amazon. Actually, we pretty much work with, I'd say, all, com- all, all, all companies in the world. They're, they're our clients because we, we obviously aggregate and compare them, and then we send them customers that are ready to, to buy. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, it's, it's like if you imagine the market, I think every service and every industry goes through this phase where there are providers, and then what next happens is that you actually get these layers of services on top that aggregate the services below. Right? It's, it's a continuous phase, of I, I think. And when you move up, you chunk up one level, and you become, I guess, that platform that sits above all these other, you know, services all over the place. Like Expedia is much like that. You know, if you were going to get a hotel before, you'd look at so many yeah. different hotels. Right. They kind of aggregate. Yeah. I think that's the trend, right? There's a, there's a, there's, there's, I think there are these services that sit on top of other services. And then what I actually think is going to start to happen, and we have this theory, um, our thesis is that there will be a meta service, right? So one app that you eventually go to. So imagine, and, and this is starting to happen, right, in, in China, Indonesia with Gojek, and WeChat and things like that, we call them meta apps. I understand. Yeah, I certainly know WeChat, and that's an interesting concept. I mean, isn't Amazon sort of already is that here, or eBay here in the United States, for instance? You know, you can get, um, you can obviously shop with Amazon, um, and, and eBay is, I think the, obviously eBay and, and Amazon traditionally have a, quite a rivalry. Um, and that's really about shopping, but what we're talking about is when you go to buy, oh, yeah. and in that user journey, there's actually a part that sits above it, which is about awareness and consideration and comparison, and then you go and buy. And it's also with WeChat, obviously, it's communication. I mean, is that something right. that you are involved in or want to move the business into? 
I, I, I believe that the future of commerce is uh, chat commerce. So we are now, right now, before we're going to buy something, we, we text each other or we, um, you know, WhatsApp each other or, and we, we, we ask little questions. We've got this piece of information and we've, we've researched that, but then we can quickly get an answer right now from a social groups, right? We're, we're sort of aggregating into these groups. And I think what will start to happen, I don't think necessarily you'll, you could buy from there, like in WeChat's case sometimes. You may still buy through other places, but what I'm, what, what I'm talking about is in the phase of, you know, traditional sales funnel, each of these layers in that process is being fueled by certain organizations. And I think it's about aggregating that all together into one meta app. And that's, that's sort of where we're trying to go. Right. Do you think that the Silicon Valley platforms have too much power? I mean, I'm talking about Facebook, Google. I want to drill down a little bit with Google with you. Mm. Uh, Amazon, et cetera. So I think that those, you know, those organizations have large customer bases, big moats, incredible network effects, strong brands, and those are things which create monopolies. Um, I know that word is a quite a spicy word, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a fact, right? And I think in terms of um, power on the internet <clears throat> and in any technology, it, it shifts and it moves. It ebbs and it flows. And... You know, there's, there's, there's something happening right now, I think it's a, sort of a meta trend and everyone just talks about it, but I actually think it's becoming more extreme is where everyone and, and not, is, is lacking more and more time. But there's another component to that. They're lacking attention. So attention is like, am I able to context switch? How many things can I context switch? And what these platform, big platforms have done is say, hey, I can, just con I can just don't need to worry too much about changing platforms, those, those kind of things. I'm just going to stick with these, these, these big platforms. Now, that's nice, but what's happening is these big platforms are great at serving a large amount of intents, right? Mm -hmm. But what people are wanting now is they go, I don't want to go and search for it. I want to just go straight to it. And that's about time, right? That's about that, that time pressure. You'll just, you'll find your service, which is great. And then you'll stop, I think, you know, the biggest trend, I think, example of this is Google Shopping used to be great, but now people just go straight to Amazon. They don't even search for the product, right? And that's that trend. And, and so then, but what's happening is in these big platforms, yeah, they're really powerful now, and they'll still always be these good feeders because it's kind of like general places. But my contention would be that over time, you'll see them splintering off. Little, little verticals of them will start to pair away because there'll be better services that will actually end-to-end -end deliver not just a generic service, but a very focused and specialized service. But when you talk about splintering, doesn't that run counter to this mega app that you're talking about? I don't understand. So, so, so I think um, what I'm talking about with the, the meta app is going through the layers. Meta or mega or both? Sorry, meta. Well, meta. Could, yeah. could be mega. Could be mega as well. Okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess when you're talking about power, I think those big platforms and their power, is, I, I think they're, they're very horizontal. What I'm just talking about is I think the new power is when you cross channels. You know, Google launched Google Plus and G Plus, and it's sort of they tried to go into that chat layer, mm. didn't quite work. They, you know, it just it just it just didn't happen, right? And Facebook's got a sort of certain corner of it. Amazon's got a certain part of that of that of that place. Google sits really above in that comparison, um, the, the the searching and intense place that feeds into everyone else. Um, and and I think, but what's happening with those ones is they're they're, they're having to fight now in their categories. But there's someone I think is going to come through and aggregate it all together. 
Why has China developed these meta apps where they haven't developed elsewhere? So I think a large, uh, you know, if you look at um, um, countries which had desktop computers uh, or personal computers, they went through that personal computer revolution. And so when we thought about going on the internet, we thought, let's go on our computer. And that's been trained into us. Now, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, they, most people don't have a computer. They don't even have a, don't have a laptop. They think of their phone as the computer. Some of them even think of Facebook as the internet. Right, that's the, that's the level. So given that they're mobile first and that they just skipped that whole desktop thing and went straight to it, when you're operating in a mobile environment, it's much, much easier to use a meta app. And mm-hmm. so it's about right. convenience. Got it. Got it. Going back to Google, you knocked heads with them or at least got socked in the gut by them. Um, tell us about that experience. And it sounds like maybe you're not as susceptible to that today as you were back then. You know, um, I, I call it we went to Google jail. Uh, and I, I take responsibility for that. You know, I really wiped out. Uh, our, we lost about 80, 70, 80% of our traffic. You know, you go down 200 places in Google, you, you know, it's, it's not good. Wow. That's, yeah, it's not a great, great experience. Um, and for three months, we experienced that. We, we unlocked, the, you know, and fixed up our site, and then we, we got out of Google jail. When was that and why? It was 2010. We were publishing, I'd say, not the most high-quality pages um, we were doing some tactics that I'd say were, in those days, they were gray, but then Google changed them to being black. And, 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 and that's just the ebb and flow of like, you know, search engine optimization. It, it has changed over time so much. Um, and now we, we, we bought a samurai sword. Um, it's a physical actual samurai sword in our reception. And it's on the wall. Like, and it is sharp, right? It's in a case now. But um, we used to have it not in the case, but that was the way you started. Um, and it reminds us that our tactics can be, they're extremely sharp and powerful, but they can cut us as well. And so, you know, we learned that lesson. And, and from there, we stopped being a tactics company and to actually think about the customer, empowering them, and like, what are we actually delivering as a company? And I think that's that moment in time when companies become, like, I guess, little startup and, and getting product market fit to actually, okay, we're going to build this organization. And in the beginning, you know, we didn't really know what the vision and the strategy of our company was and where we'd go. I, you know, we always thought, okay, at some point we're going to go to the U.S. I don't know how, I don't know why, but we're just going to put that up there. And I think we've always set those kind of goals. And for some reason, I think beginning with that end in mind, when you get the right people who are driven and passionate and, and, and want to achieve something every day, for some reason, you you figured that out. That sword of Damocles that you've got is pretty amazing. And and so today, though, are you still that susceptible to Google? Mm, I think we obviously we get affected by its changes. I mean, we move a lot more, but we're much much more stable. Right. Um, and we also we've diversified our traffic sources dramatically. Right. Fred, talk to us about how you got your start, where you grew up, and then how you became a founder of a comparison shopping site? You know, I, I was, um, you know, when the internet started and it sort of started becoming a little bit bigger, I thought, why can't we build websites? And so I started with, you know, just literally myself trying to build websites. In Australia, growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had, Australia's got terrible internet. Like, it's super slow. Um, and it's still slow. Um, so this is dial-up days. And, you know, but what I, I actually built 
this is interesting. I actually built my first site on GeoCities, which was part of Yahoo. This is going back in the day. Here you are. Yeah. All right. Full circle, right? All right. Um, so, you know, building one of those sites, learn to code on the internet, not necessarily learn to code C++ and those kind of things. I learned those things a little bit later on. And I thought, you know, it would be wonderful to build a website. And I just, I, for that, something is just naturally, and, and that's one sort of part. Then over time, I actually started selling websites for other people, and that was a brutal business. And But one day, one of the clients called me up and said, hey, do you get us to the top of this Google thing? And I was like, what is that? And so that mm -hmm. led me on the journey to learning about search engine optimization, which actually led me on a business to learn about internet marketing. And we went on to sell that business to a public company. But along the way, like the innovator's dilemma, we thought, okay, we need to reinvent ourselves. This business needs, we need to, what is the next generation? We need to disrupt ourselves again. So we set up this little tiny company and we sat around a desk and we said, okay, what a, if you were going to start a company today with our skills and with our, with our resources, so doing, you know, Clayton's traditional way, what's our strengths? What are we good at? And what are the untapped things or the untapped customer needs? We wrote down all these ideas and one of them was a poker site, one was a Mother's Day present site, one was like a Sudoku site when that was popular, mm -hmm. uh, and one was Credit Card Finder. Mm -hmm. And so Finder was called Credit Card Finder in the beginning. And we just launched these sites. So the poker site kind of went okay, then it kind of failed, you know, because poker became big, then it sort of died off. Mother's Day presents only happens one day, one time a year. Yeah, that didn't seem like a great Not idea. Not a great quite idea, honestly. No. <laughs> Sudoku, I don't know who you make money out of, but yeah. Credit Card Finder became... It had the, the genesis of um, some, some beautiful aspects in that it's a repeatable process that we educate to people and they came in and we could go and help them compare. You mean, yeah, compare, find the best credit card for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and really that actually started, that whole idea, if, if you go back even further, was I just wanted to rank number one in Google for credit card, which is kind of like a, you know, it's, it's an outlandish thing to do. And we did eventually get that. Uh, and then got penalized. Hmm. But I thought, what are we going to actually put on the website? And I think at its core, what I've always been about, given we went through that first business, is about you know, just financial frugality, um, um, education, teaching, writing, um, and, and as best we possibly can, empowering people. Because you know, I started, we started our first business on a credit card. You know, and, and that's just a reality. It's a tough way to live, but... That's the way it goes. And I think we just started to teach that. And so there's lots and lots of experts now in Finder and incredible writers and making incredible products to help people with all the decisions that they need now. Um, but I think, you know, along the way, that, uh, that vision of where we are today, it, and, and a lot of people, I think, they ask me, like, did you, did you have this idea in the beginning? I said, no. I, but I think that evolves, and that's where that reinvention comes in, continuously recreating yourself. So... How big is the company? How many employees? Can you tell us about sales? Is it public? Is it private? Is it global? Give us a rundown. Yeah, uh, so 310 full-time employees. It's on track, I'd say, for 100 mil rev this year. Um, it's a profitable company, always been profitable. Um, no investment, no, no debt, um, fully funded. Actually, we didn't take any funding in. It was just cash flow funded. Um, so it's kind of a bit, di bit different. You guys own it? You and your partner? Yep, and that's it. And some of the crew inside Right, Finder. right. IPO? Um, Look at that smile. He's like, eh. <laughs> Like, we're not trying to sell the company, you know, today. 
Um, or a sale, right, could be either, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a lot of people right now pitching to us, right, because there's a trend from these real valuation funded companies and trying to get the next capital raise and those kind of things to real businesses that have a real vision that can show consistent, you know, solid path to growth and profitability and actually can deliver that and know how to run a company. And I think where we would go maybe is, you know, maybe raise some money, maybe not, who knows. But eventually I do think we might list the company because I think it's it's best to get liquidity for the people who have worked inside Fana for a long time and they've made they've made this business. I didn't make this business. They made that business. Um, I always say, don't do it for me. Do it for each other. Um, and then I think you know, with that with that that path with that, there brings other challenges. So we're trying to stay private for as long as possible mm -hmm. because you can pivot and you can move. Um, whereas when you're you're public, it's 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 a little different. How many countries are you in, and how is it? possible to operate, you know, in different languages and mm. compare products like that and services? You know, I think that um, last count, I think it was 83 different countries that we're publishing into. Mm. Um, I think languages are a challenge, sure. Um, but we hire local editors and local writers and there are principles of what we're doing that, that you can take around the world. Um, I, I would say that going from being a local Australian company to being and thinking like a global company is a major shift. And I think we've operationally now got to that point. Um, you know, I, I think what, what you've got to anticipate with that is get your core business right. Get it operationally, what we call operational excellence. Get it to operational excellence, and then you can start to scale that playbook. And and so a lot of the stuff we, we do is principle led. It's um, from our values, from our playbooks, and it scales. You know, in, in that sense, there's a lot of great people that you got to put behind that, right? So finding them and, and scaling like that. Um, I think one of the things that we kind of use as well when we scale to another country is it's kind of like an experiment to see what works there and then you can take that back to the other countries. So we're really focused on the US, UK, Canada and Australia right now mm -hmm. as our main, 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 main countries. Um, one of the challenges because we're like quite close to Google is you know, China is not so much with you know, Google. Um, South Korea has obviously got Naver. Russia has its own you know, um, Yandex and things like that. And so we're focused traditionally on Google-led countries for now. Got it. Um, and you talked about a personal finance product. What is that? Yeah, so um, the Finder app, you can get it in the App Store or the Google Play Store. Um, it's, it's, so there's a trend right now, and, and, in the, and, and particularly the UK, I believe, is one of the, the leaders in fintech right now. Um, and one of the biggest new regulation changes is the CDR, consumer data, right? Right. I think I should say data. Um, yeah. And what that is is that the banks are being legislated to give their data to customers. So this this thing called open banking. Now, I'm not sure how far this is. It's going to take a long time to get up, up and running here in the US. I think I'm not sure. The, the big banks have some fairly strong power to, to not allow this. But banks are actually legislated for to give consumers the access to their data so that they can give that out to other third-party applications. 
And what we've built is an application that connects to that data. And what it does is it actually starts to give you the ability to run algorithms and actually give you not what the bank tells you, but actually give you what's best for you. So we call it personalized comparison. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the change, right? That's, that's the difference is like taking that power back to the consumer. Um, Europe's obviously massive on this and they've moved, they started with um, current accounts. They're moving into payments. So you can actually make payments through these applications. Australia's rolled out the legislation here. Canada is in the movement of, is about to, about to do this as well, and New Zealand. If you look at Southeast Asia and countries like that, they kind of already have these cables into banks. JP Morgan here has just um, started with a, a new uh, token, which passes into you know, screen scraping technologies mm-hmm. like Yodli and Plaid right. and things like that. But this is a major trend, right? Right. And what, what, what we're trying to do is give people the tools to leverage this data, this new right. data they have. It's like, what am I going to do with all this, this, this transaction right. data? And what we think is by empowering them with that, you can make better decisions in your life. Right. A couple of last questions. Um, first of all, as I mentioned, you're traveling from Australia. What's the situation there uh, with the coronavirus? So, you know, there have been some cases um, there. China's very, uh, Australia's very close to, to Asia as well. Um, it's, it's um, you know, just to give context as well, Australia's just gone through some massive bushfires. Right. And economically, that's really hurt us um, as a country. Um, it's also, from a travel and, a, and, and that perspective as well, the third biggest industry in Australia is actually education. Um, you know, I think I've heard Corona beer sales are down like 32% or something like that, right? You know, there is just some cognitive biases with, you know, people. Um, I think that, so that international educational market is a big market. That I think it's going to affect Australia a lot. Um, obviously, um, Australia also exports a lot of minerals. It's a massive mining country yeah. to, to China. It's a big, big exporter. I, I think that in terms of the spread and, and the pandemic infection, you know, I, I can't really comment on that. I don't, it's hard to, hard, to, hard to know what is the facts and what is not right now. Um, I think it's un, unclear. I do think there are going to be some winners and some losers in terms of companies out of this. Um, some of the companies I think will start, you'll start to see are things like where you have decentralized or at-home um, services, right? So, um, you know, I'll shout out to Atlassian is an Australian company, but it's, you know, about shared work and shared information. I think it's, it's, its stock is holding up throughout this. You've got companies like Zoom, I think, are, are really, you know, picking up. Tencent in, 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 um, in China as well because more video calls, more, less, less personal interaction. Right. I think there are some it's, – it's interesting as the lens to look at this, right, from a pandemic situation. I do think this is a black swan. That's my personal view mm-hmm. on this entire thing. It's, yeah. it's literally, I think people are underestimating it and don't see the echoes that are going to come from it. Um, there's definitely going to be some losers, right, out of this as right. well. You know, supply chain-led businesses. But I actually think they'll adapt. And I actually think it will start to actually build a more resilient, you know, in the future supply chain. Right. Let me ask you about crypto. Um, I know that's a big interest of yours, but isn't crypto over, man? Um, Bitcoin's been called dead, what, like for 10 years now? Seems to still be going. Um, you know, I think the price is holding up pretty well throughout this as well. Um, you know, um, I think crypto is in the beginning. And it took, if you remember the internet, you know, we went through the pets.com 
phase of the internet in, in crypto. And I actually think it needs another five years to cook. Um, there are real executions. So I was just, I was just um, at dinner last night with the guys building in the stock exchange, the Australian stock exchange, the actual blockchain settlement layer. Like settlement of stocks right now is a, a, a small to large disaster in terms of its paper and all those kind of things, right? So it's, it's where blockchain just does so well. And they're actually rolling out. They're actually starting to happen. Mm. Um, it just takes time for those technologies. There was big promises. You know, it took ages for the internet to be, to be real. It wasn't until, like, I'd say, you know, Hotmail with, with, with email was, was, was the internet at all interesting to most people. Um, or, you know, um, when, when, when really data became fast enough on your phone and then you could watch videos right. and you could stream, then we were like, now we don't even talk about the internet, really. The internet is kind of like what it is. That's the same with, I think, with these blockchain technologies. They need to find their place. They need to find their, 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 you know, where that goes. I'm a big believer in Bitcoin. I think that'll continue on. I think it's like digital gold. I think it'll, it'll last on and on and on. Um, I'm fascinated by these DeFi, so decentralized finance applications, where you can earn interest. You can earn like 8% on your interest right now. And that's, that's real. Um, these stable coins, I think, are fascinating. So, you know, obviously Libra got shut down, but there are plenty of other big stable coins out there with massive market caps, right? Right. Um, but it's just going to take some time to cook. Right. And before we go, let me see this hat. You, so you kind of adopted <laughs> New York City, it looks like here, right? Well, so yeah. The Yankee hat? We've got the Yankee hat uh -huh. with, with Finder on the, on the back as well. Right. Nice. So it's a little co-branding, co-venture there with uh, the, the Yankees, right? Yeah, we've got to get my New York on, you know? Right. Big ups. Most excellent. All right, Fred Shabesta, co-founder of Finder.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm Andy Serwer. You've been watching Influencers. We'll see you next time.